This athletic podcast is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bet with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sports betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store over only, please gamble responsibly. Uh, hello, welcome to the Unseen and Chapman podcast on The Athletic, bringing you exclusive and original stories and interviews offering a gender-setting insight from inside the game from David and writers from across The Athletic. And just by listening to us, you can get a 40% discount on subscription by going to theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman. So theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman, you get a 40% discount. We did two pods last week, Chris Hewan, we Danny Ings, Gordon Taylor, your column's back this week, so we'll reflect on that later. We can, yeah, absolutely. What? Well, go on, tease. <laughs> We've got some transfer lines yeah. in there to do with Liverpool, uh, some contract lines to do with Arsenal. We've got... Uh, the latest development in the FIFA versus agents row and plenty more besides. Okay, so Liverpool transfer news in particular uh, coming up a little later on this Ornstein and Chapman podcast. However, our main focus will be to look at what's happening at Manchester City with their two-year ban from Europe, how it happened, what it could mean for the future of the club and its star players and Pep Guardiola. So to help us try and wade through all of this and it is wading I think the Athletics Football News and Investigations reporter Matt Slater is in the studio with us take it take us right back because there are people listening who will be aware City have been banned for two years from the Champions League for breaching financial fair play rules but what exactly have they breached according to UEFA okay we're coming up for air um, <laughs> well well it depends who you talk to really what has Manchester City done wrong my word what is it they say? Ruining football since? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, okay. let's just stick to what UEFA have said. Let's stick to, there's got this kind of sort of two key texts here that came out on Friday. Friday evening, Valentine's Day, just in case anyone was out for dinner. Uh, <laughs> Who said romance is yeah, dead? Yeah, exactly. Um, about 6.24 on my, uh, on my inbox, we got the, we got the UEFA email. And then shortly after, we got the Man City statement. The UEFA email doesn't give a great deal away. It's a summary of the Financial Fair Play's adjudicatory chamber their ruling, which is now going to be locked away in a vault somewhere until we get to the the appeal. We're not going to see that ruling for a while. Okay. Which is a shame. Yeah. Because I think there's some wonderful stuff in there. Okay. What they have done wrong is the two following things. They have exaggerated their sponsorship income, which goes back to that whole debate we've been having for the last few years about what the fair market value is for things like the Etihad naming rights, the Etihad across the shirt, and all their other... United Arab Emirates linked companies that have, you know, flown in their direction, that have, that have come in ever since the change of ownership there in 2011, 2010, sorry. Um, so, you know, it's a conversation about are those companies related parties? Are they, are they paying a fair amount? Can you justify that? If they weren't from the UAE, these companies, would they be paying the same amount? Long conversation about that, a conversation we had in 2014 and we thought we'd mm. resolved. It's now come back. It's come back because of these emails, which I know we're going to get into. So that's the first thing. Manchester City have exaggerated their sponsorship income. And the second thing is they did not cooperate with this 
most recent investigation. Two things, and I think of those two, the second one is going to be probably the most damaging for them going forward. The general landscape of overvaluing sponsorship is a very complicated area, isn't it? And who determines what is the right value and what is it for? So Manchester City could very well say, our deal with Etihad not only covers the stadium and the men's shirt, but it covers the academy, the the stadium we've built there, the women's team, etc., etc. Chevrolet, when they did their deal with Manchester United, did the deal that they thought was right and then immediately got rid of the guy that did it, didn't they? Because they thought they'd they'd overpaid on it. So it's very subjective what a sponsorship deal is worth between the two parties. So we're going here right now, are we? Yeah, we'll we'll start with that. Well, you've basically just outlined the Man City case. Right, okay. On that particular part of it. Who are you or I to say what is the fair value for a company in a particular part of the world to attach itself with a particular sports team? It's a bit like... When you sell your house, this is the this is the this is yeah. the analogy you always get. All right, uh, you could have fifteen viewings in one day. Fourteen of them could absolutely hate it. They could moan about the garden. Oh, I don't like the kitchen. I wouldn't put that window there. There's not enough bathrooms upstairs. You'd hear fourteen different reasons as to why they don't like your house. One of them will love it. One of them will absolutely love it. It'll be the house they've dreamt of, not the one next door, not the one they saw, you know, earlier yeah. that day. Your house. Hmm. That's all you need. One. One person to like your house. But is that true in football? Well, look, uh, we are getting into, at least with the row of houses, right, you have a lot of data. The houses on on, on one particular street are all on one particular street, right? So we all know about location, location, location. So we we can make an assumption about what the location is worth. We can make an assumption about how nice the garden is, when you last had it decorated, if you've got a nice driveway or not, a few little things like that. And that will give you a range of what we think are fair values. But we are talking about a relatively new area, right? We're talking about what is the value of me associating myself with the best team in England that has some absolutely world-class players that have this wonderful story to tell of being this sort of hard-pressed, bit of a joke in the city, now reviving and, and going past going mm. past their their sort of you know the, the club that used to bully them going past the sort of city bully there's a wonderful narrative there that are now breaking new ground with new fans around the world off the back of their iconic manager and these fabulous collection of players what am i comparing that with what is there another man city well you could all right we could go psg which of course is the other one where, where is this story that is exactly like that Exactly like that. Yeah. There are other stories a bit like that. You know, you could say, well, aren't all football teams a bit the same? Uh, yeah, okay, they play football. But are they exactly like Man City? Winning, what is it, four titles in however many years? Yeah. Playing, scoring 100 points, winning 100 points. You know, having Kevin De Bruyne and Aguero on the same field and Sterling. That Every football club is a little bit different. And then, that's only half the equation. You've got to go to the person with the check. Well, look, you know, Chevrolet are like, well, okay, I, I need to flog loads and loads of cars, right? I need to advertise on a big billboard. I need to put, I need to have my adverts in the, in the, you know the equivalent of Coronation Street, yeah. right? I'm just I just need eyeballs. Those Man City companies, what do they need? They need brand association, don't they? They need to be with a premium brand. And is there a more premium brand than than, than Man City right now? You could I mean we could have a debate about it. You could have an argument about it. Accountants can say, 
well, look, there are other premium brands out there. Yeah, but then you get into sort of a kind of a very subjective conversation about, yeah, but my premium brand is more premium than yours. Yeah. I've got Pep Guardiola, I've got Kevin De Bruyne. Do you know how good Kevin De Bruyne is? So do they? I, I, I mean, and I, I imagine that through this podcast, I'll probably ask you questions and you, you might not know. So all the way through, just go, well, I have no idea about that. But when you even look at a sponsorship deal... So if I was to pick something similar-ish, you could probably go to Arsenal and the Emirates. They've got the sta- yep. an airline, stadiums, got, got the naming rights, the airline, the shirt sponsorship is the airline as well. Obviously, that airline doesn't own the football club. Do they do they look do they have a massive chart in their office that looks at different sponsorships and what they are paying and try to determine it on that? Is that how they're doing it? I haven't been to the office. No. I haven't seen the things they've got blue tack yeah. on their wall, but they do benchmark. That's right, that's okay. exactly what they do. And they tend to often go to sort of third party brand experts. You know, pe- lots of people do this sort of stuff. Lots of accountancy firms, lots of right. there are there are trust me, there are brand experts who do these benchmarking reviews. And it could be Bear in mind, these people be working for both sides. So they'd be working for the sponsor who wants to go along to said Arsenal or Man United and say, look, um, I, I'm a financial services company in the States. Um, my, I, I'm flogging pensions, right? And I want to be a sort of, I want to I go on the shirt sleeve yeah. of a Premier League football club. Okay, talk to me about your typical customer. Talk to me about which markets you really want to go for. Here's your here's your price list. You know, you got I'd sort of say so Liverpool, Man United at the top, but maybe they don't sort of work for you. Maybe maybe you're more Spurs. Maybe a bit more city focused because you know we could get you. You could do a bit of corporate hospitality near the city. It would be that sort of conversation. It'd be like, what do you want? What are you trying to achieve? What are you flogging? What markets are important to you? And then they'd be looking at the squad. Okay, we got you know, I don't know Chelsea. Pulisic, brilliant. You're an American firm. We'll make your campaign all about him. It's that kind yeah. of thing, and it's 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 very subjective. So you're you're and the, hugely variable, of course. And you're the accountant at, at UEFA trying to make sense of these rules. But everything you've explained so far is, in essence, clean and just subjective and debatable. Isn't there a lot of suspicion around this on who is making those decisions and, in your terminology, writing the checks? Absolutely. So basically what we've just been talking yeah. about is the 2014 rail. Right. Right. The original FFP case where City, you know, had this wonderful explosion of, of success and money and huge, huge amounts coming in and rapidly, rapidly changing their station in life. And FFP, the first big case, first, well, it wasn't the first, quite, but it was the first big test case, them and PSG. My God, the two Nouveau rich kids on the block both funded by sovereign wealth funds from the Middle East. Lots of similarities, you know, mo- rapidly moving into dominant positions in their, in their domestic leagues. Presented them with a massive, massive headache. You know, OK, well done. You've, you've correctly worked out. So you've got to re- massively raise your income. So what have you done? Yeah, you've gone off and done massive sponsorship deals. In PSG's case, they, they went even further. They, they, were, they were very, very clever. And this is Possibly one of the reasons why it's been quite hard to unpick what PSG did. Their owner, Nasser El Khalifi, is also the senior figure at B in Sports. They're so so wealthy. What do they do? They basically massively overpaid for the French TV rights, lifting all boats in the harbour. They massively overpaid for the French Champions League rights as well, you know, in the European, Middle East, Asia market. So suddenly, if you're the best team in France and PSG, we're going to be the best team in France, you're going to be coining it in off the back of your broadcast deal and your broadcaster also happens to own your club. But also, and also <laughs> this, is, this is by the by, also what they did, if I remember rightly, around that time, they were then responsible for scheduling who played when yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. in exactly. Liga and yeah, stuff. Yeah. But they then would 
schedule Paris mm. Saint-Germain and so they could favourably yeah. One of the arguments would be, or unfavourably, choose when, when he played who. Anyhow, yeah. back to the other. So, so that was the twenty. So that was the twenty fourteen. So, so, so this big conversation about fair market value and you know, who are you to say what this is mm. worth and what that's worth? That company over there is they've got their own shareholders. They've got a board. They're not idiots. They've decided to give us this yeah. much money. You know, have, don't interfere. Right. This is what's different this time. This is what comes back to my original point about the the deception, the non-cooperation right. is what's going to really hurt them. Because yes, of course, they it's a financial fair play rule breach. So we because of the hacked emails, because of what we've learnt, or you know, what we've allegedly learnt, and Man City so far have not challenged the veracity of those emails, what UEFA feel they've learned is you didn't tell us the truth. Not only were we having a conversation about valuations, you didn't tell us quite where this money was coming from, the money trails, the loops, who was actually paying this money, these related party relationships. We now have in your own writing evidence that these valuations were bogus, that you're almost admitting that they are over the top and hard to justify in a commercial sense. 2014, brilliant. We thought we resolved that. We did an agreement. You served your punishment. You got your you got your suspended money back, and we we've we've merrily moved onwards with you now earning pots of cash and no longer having a financial fair play problem because you are now just good. Yeah. And you have raised your status. Oh, hold on a minute. We've now found out from your own inner workings that you lied to us, and in this second hearing you haven't cooperated with us. Point two of the charge sheet, and that can only mean, and I'm strongly led to believe this that City just didn't get into the whole issue of the emails just didn't want to go there and the 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 damning stuff is in the emails because they always protested that the emails had been leaked hacked out of context out of context but they never denied the content no no look if you're going to make that out of context argument and it was a it was an argument. I'll be honest. We may well get here as well mm. that I was swayed by. I, I I called this wrong. Hands up, mayor culpa time. Three months ago, I called this wrong. I thought they were going to get away with it, and I think it was because of a few things. I think I think I lent too heavily on the bullish conviction and confidence of Manchester City, who have been like this from the beginning and remain so. Which and you I, would be if you believe that you haven't done anything wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I perhaps didn't weigh that okay. carefully enough, and I corroborated and bolstered that with, I think, what I would now characterise as gossip within legal circles. There was a a feeling, and I, and I think people are still shocked by this, there was a feeling that UEFA didn't have the stomach for this fight because of some of the other anomalies and, con- and contradictions and concerns about what City would throw at them. Um, and perhaps this, the gossip I was hearing was reflecting the conviction coming from City. And I think I... I regretfully went on city bullishness plus legal gossip about city bullishness okay although uh, if they if they win their appeal yep, then yeah, yeah, then yeah. then but you... I, I i can't claim that as a, as a win because no. I, I thought they'd they'd be cleared at this point. so let's go back to the out of context yeah, emails yeah, yeah. so what manchester city would say i'm guessing is that you have taken uefa seven emails or the Spiegel, really, at this point. The Spiegel, yeah. sorry, yeah. yeah. Have taken seven emails out of, I don't know, God, well, a, a Rui million. Pinto, Rui Pinto is the Portuguese hacker, right. the Football League's guy, is 
understood to have hacked about 70 million emails, not just about Man City, right. but from, from clubs, leagues, agents. Right. That's, that's his cache of stolen... So the out of context, yeah. if you if you are looking at seven emails out of seven yeah, <laughs> out of seventy million, potentially. there potentially, there is an argument to say that you, you haven't got the full story. Yeah, maybe yeah. with yeah. seven compared to seventy. Look, I, I'll be honest with you. I I really thought that the city argument would be you have cherry picked. You've selectively quoted. Uh, a selection of emails that paints us in the worst possible picture. You yes. created a horrible jigsaw out of um, some black humour mm. that we've because that we, we can talk about that as well. They made some they made some unsavoury jokes about yeah. um, about people at City mm. and uh, financial fair play uh, watchdogs. Most notably, the the first boss of the financial fair play team, Jean Luc Dehaene, who was a, a former Belgian prime minister who died, and and City's in house lawyer Simon Cliff is alleged to have said one down six to go. Now look, I know for a fact. That, that has gone down very, very badly at UEFA. Mm. It's 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 really upset people. It's rude. They didn't know that email was going to be hacked, right? But I thought the way out of this, the only real way out of this for City, and I still believe this, is to show that those emails, all of them, are out of context. Oh, look, well, here's... Yes, you picked that one, but you, you here's the other one, the, yeah. the thing that we actually did, or the thing that explains why we were doing it that way. Or, well, at the end of the day, this is this is how it turned out. Now, so far... We haven't had that. Or is the onus on UEFA to prove that they are in context? <sighs> See, this is this is this is interesting, and I think this this is a an area where this will be fought. If we're talking about battlegrounds, this this will be one of them. At at the moment, and the adjudicatory chamber, they're not clowns, despite what you might read on social media. These are you know one one is a is a European Court of Justice jurist. Um, uh, the, the British QC, who's on this this panel, uh, you know, runs our national anti-doping panel. Charles Flint is QC. I mean, they're they're all, they are all very very senior, experienced barristers, jurists. They have said no. They've said, look, here are the rules. You have to provide us with financial information every year. You do that in good faith. We go through it with you. And in your particular case, we had a big row about it five six years ago. We came to a settlement. And we th- we shook hands on that settlement, and we thought you had everything you'd sent us, everything in your portfolio your, was was legit. We have now discovered that it wasn't legit. So that that bad faith rips up that deal, and now the onus is on you to show to us that it is legit, or or, or we're wrong. We, we've we've misconstrued this apparent br- massive breach of faith. And if City was so confident that. They've got nothing to hide. Why haven't they shown that evidence to this point? I don't know. What we do know. So we had a bit of a dress rehearsal. What they uh, have started to refer to as uh, as CAS1 internally. I, I, I wish they told me that earlier because then I would have known <laughs> where we were going. But CAS1 at the time was this preemptive strike they made to, to go to the sport's highest court of appeal and have this thrown out before there was even a ruling. Now, at the time, a lot of sort of uh, lawyers I spoke to sort of said, what are they doing? This is first-year law stuff. Everybody knows that CAS is the final arbiter. It's, it's Sports Supreme Court. You go there when you've exhausted all other avenues. Why are they going there now? Well, then some other sides point out, well, look, this is what they're doing. This is, this is an FU. This is... Yeah. We're going to throw so much at this. We're going to fight you every step of the way. We're not even going to wait for the hearing. We'll see you at CAS. Well, then we'll see you again if we have to. And there was 
some logic to it. One, it may have worked. Not really. Two, they may have landed some blows. And talking to people at the time, they felt they perhaps did land a few blows. While some of the reporting very much pointed out that City wanted to sue UEFA and, and, and Cass said, no, don't be ridiculous. And of course, you know, come back and see us once you've had your decision. But within the, the longer decision that they did publish, which was published about a week or so ago, they did throw a little bit of shade UEFA's way uh, on its processes, particularly around the AC Milan case, which I think we might yeah. need to talk about a little bit, um, about the apparent contradictions of how UEFA treated AC Milan and its financial fair play issues over the last couple of years. And City made this big, big play, big aggressive play, which I think has come back to hurt them, on the leaks. Now, this is quite important because I think this will form part of their defence second time around. I think it's... I wish it wasn't. If I was a City fan, I, I, I wouldn't be comfortable with this, but this appears to be one of the ways they're going. They are saying that um, because New York Times, AP, The Sun had a few stories last year that correctly guessed, previewed that these charges were coming, that there were leaks coming from the UEFA end. And this, they say, is a breach of due process. Well, that you'd already made your minds up. You hadn't even probably thought about it and you were telling journos that, you know, you were going to go after us for a year's ban, right? We we hadn't even started talking to you yet about what our evidence was. And they feel that this also damaged their reputation. But I think it's that sort of, you, you had preemptively decided something without due process. It was a hasty. And if you look at some of the things that Man City was saying at the time, this has been a rushed judgment. You'd already made your minds up. And they made it very personal about the chief investigator, uh, another Belgian former prime minister called uh, Yves Termey. Now, in the Cass hearing, what we learned was Yves Termey pushing back very, very hard, very angrily, as, as prime ministers ever, ever get, about the suggestion that he or his team had leaked journos. And Cass did say, look, City, you're trying it on a little bit. If, you, if you're going to try and have this thrown out because a newspaper got wind of something and correctly correctly guessed or correctly predicted, reported that something was going to happen, if you're going to say that that is, well, that's it, forget it, come on. You know, well, you know you're, you're killing off sports newspapers, right? You know, no, no. These people can still leak, talk, suggest things and come at this independently with their years of experience. So no, no, we're not throwing it out. However, they did then say to Leterme, we're a little bit surprised about the strength of your language. I mean, you're, you're sort of saying, you know, you're, you're massively throwing the toys out of the pram here. But can you really say that, that it didn't come from your team? Because it came from somewhere. So there was a tiny bit of pushback. And I think that did at least stop the leaks. But a leak's a distraction in this whole story <laughs> from the, yeah. the actual point we're discussing. And also, at the risk of answering my own question... And having spoken to a lot of people around City, and they've said this publicly as well, it seems that UEFA or the Adjudicatory Committee have played judge and jury here. And perhaps City felt all along that Cass is going to be the true arbiter of their case. Yeah, that's that's look that that has been their position. That that and that's why perhaps they didn't cooperate. Okay, if if that's yeah, all right. There, There is an internal logic to that. Here are the problems with it, though. I know it plays really well with the fan base. One, yeah, I'm sorry, we're talking about sport here. We're not talking about criminal law. Yes, there are UEFA laws that you signed up to. It's UEFA's competition. It's UEFA's money. Um, yeah, you, you, UEFA as an organisation have, have ruled on this. But 
you know, if we're going to talk about justice, it was an independent organisation. It was, yep. you know, uh, it wasn't UEFA per se, HQ. It was the control football club financial boards adjudicatory chamber who's chaired by as i say a very senior portuguese judge and has independent people on it and it was investigated by a different independent team so there were there were arms length structures in place here and okay yeah by all means go to cas and you'll be talking to a different group of people who all come from the same backgrounds they're not going to be compl- they're not they're not going to be handpicked from abu dhabi well, you can you can actually choose one of the three, but but UEFA will choose one, and yeah. the other one will be yeah. you know but, yeah, mm. that's just how it works. But but they will all be very very senior jurists and, and, and lawyers, right? So it's not like you know, you're not handpicking the jury. But Cass has overturned decisions of magnitude before. It has, but not many. You know, Cass as a God, well, this this really could be another podcast. Cass has been criticised many, many times for being too close to sport, and by sport I mean the IOC, the big international federations. Um, um, it very rarely goes against international federations. It really, very rarely goes against the regulator. It does sometimes, but not very often. There are so many different ways to, to go on that. The first thing to say is just because I'm studying corporate governance at the moment, and this actually came up last week in one of our lectures, was CAS isn't actually a court. No, it's, ju- it's, it's an ju- arbitrary panel. It's yeah. just a yeah. panel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anything that's leaked or has been yeah. hacked is admissible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so th- that one, first of all. Secondly... Do you think City might have more faith in Cass, despite the fact, as you've just said, UEFA would pick one of the panel members and they'd pick one themselves, because of the perception that financial fair play and the way UEFA behave around financial fair play, you know what I'm going to say, Mm. is protectionist. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it is there to protect the established elite Mm. and keep out the pesky newcomers who might challenge them and take their place. Is this CAS 3 or is this when they go to the Swiss Federal Court or the but European that, Court of... Yeah. But that, but yeah, yeah. that and I think, understandably, and for a lot of, I don't know, maybe fans of clubs outside the European elite, they would understand yeah, yeah. that feeling. If you are a new kid on the block with new money and you yeah. want to break into the European elite, you are a threat to mm-hmm. the European elite. So to answer that, I think we have to do the briefest of histories on FFP. Yeah. All right. So this, and, and this is where it gets very, very tribal. Okay, so my take on FFP is that it was invented for um, noble, the right reasons. Okay, there were concerns about the rising levels of debt within the European game. Um, the backdrop to this would have been things like Portsmouth, but umpteen stories around yeah. around around Europe, and many of the clubs were trapped in a sort of an arms race of their own making, and welcomed the idea of some spending controls. So the principle, and there's lots of history to sort of show that these that this is what Platini was trying to do, and this is what the people around him were trying to do. We, we've always been a bit reluctant in Europe, some of it to do with the European competition law around salary caps mm. and the the, you know, the US model. Um, but financial fair play was, if you like, a soft, you know, variable salary cap that controlled spending and therefore hopefully controlled debt and made clubs and businesses more sustainable, whilst encouraging you to do sustainable things like invest in your infrastructure, grow your revenues, invest in your youth team, invest in your women's team. You know, right? that was the idea. OK, now, did it have and this is where you can argue the unintended slash intended consequence of ring-fencing the elite, of ring-fencing the clubs who earned the most money and pulling up the drawbridge on the, hello, 
PSG, City, and just sneaking in, just in time, Chelsea's of this world. Yeah. Okay, did it have? Did it have that? Yes, it did. Yes, it has. And that has been a flaw of FFP from the beginning, that it has ossified the system. It has entrenched the system. And there's been this gallop, particularly in those early years, to get on the helicopter before it leaves the embassy. Because if you're not on that helicopter, see you later. The Deloitte money list is entrenched. The top 15, top 12, bye, goodbye forever. You're not catching them up. I don't care who, don't care who buys you. So yes, that is a part of this. And that is the, the rhetoric, the narrative that you uh, get from, from some City fans, particularly the ones who happen to go on my Twitter feed. <laughs> <laughs> I can completely understand that school of thought, I have to say. As, yeah. as somebody who wants, and I am not a Manchester City fan, but as somebody who wants competitive balance, who wants variety in sport, who doesn't always want the same work, well, not just football, in a, whole, you know, in a whole load of different sports that wants variety... Um, you don't want a closed shop of the same big teams being able to do anything. The other interesting thing, from my from my discussions with people connected to Manchester City, is that they don't necessarily play the game. And by that I mean mm. they are not interested in the politics of UEFA. They don't they don't want to sit they don't want to sit on boards. They they don't have executives who sit on various UEFA committees i quite like that because that's quite old school mancunian you're you're like a bit of two fingers we're we're not going to play there's somebody who constantly gets told to play the game and refuses to play the game you've got to play the game well they don't want to they want to do things they want to do things their way so they're not in the corridors of power and i wonder whether that has an effect disrupt a brand aren't they look i've heard the same things as you i wonder though if don't want is actually not invited right okay yeah I mean, I've, I'm led to believe that Ferran Soriano, for example, the chief executive at Man City, has in the past thought that his position as a very, very successful football executive, you know, who um, runs Premier League champions, should at some point have a more senior role within the European Club Association, which is the rich club's club, and by dint of that should, should start to appear on UEFA committees in exactly the same way as PSG... President Nasser El Khalifi has gone. He he is one of the two ECA representatives on the UEFA Exco. So, you know, it, is that again feeding into that city? No one likes us. We've been ruining football for blah blah blah. Mm. You know, we are we are the new kids on the block, and this is a massive stitch up narrative. Or, you know, or, or has or have City sort of you know taken that as a, a sort of a badge of honour and gone right? You know, sod you. Also, is a lot of this not sort of philosophical debate? Mark, you gave your opinion on what you sympathise with. Matt, you talked about how FFP was designed originally and some people liked it, some people didn't. But this particular situation relates to rules are rules. You might not like the fact that you received a speeding fine, but we all end up paying it. 100%, David. This, this, yeah. is, you know, this is where my... my my sympathies with with City kind of you know hit the wall to be honest because yes there are problems with FFP it's not perfect and I, and I and I do regardless of what happens here I think this is the end of this particular chapter of FFP I think I think the the Armageddon that's coming in 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 at CAS the amount of 
muck that's going to be thrown at the walls, it's going to be very hard for UEFA in, in its current to, to carry on with FFP in its current state. Okay, I think there's going to be a tweaking, a rebranding, a rebooting, something. Because all these flaws, all these contradictions, the fact that, yes, hold on, okay, you, you were worried about debt. You were worried about debt. But what about Man United's half, half a billion debt that still sits on those books? What about the debt that Chelsea will one day presumably pay Abramovich? You know, that, and, and I'm seeing other examples of that. You know, okay, it's sustainable. They're, they're, they're paying the interest in the same way that, you know, we're paying interest on our mortgages and all that. But, you know, what, are you interested in debt or, or not? Are you, because Man City are debt-free. PSG are debt-free. Well, Man City, I think the only debt they have is, officially, is the, is the rent they owe on the stadium. But, I mean, you know, they could buy, if they were allowed to buy the stadium, they'd buy it tomorrow. So, And have regenerated an no, area, and et cetera, all of that, et cetera. All of that. So that's fine. Yeah, let's have that round maybe some other time when you when you're not in the dock, right? When you've got when you've got a you know a leg to stand on, because you signed up to these rules, you've entered this competition. But the one caveat that I see in that, and this is reflected in a lot of people I speak to at City, is that regardless of any wrongdoing or not, they don't feel they're playing a fair game here because there are a number of other clubs who are not being pulled up, in their opinion, yeah. for similar transgressions. Yeah, let's, so, wait, let's, so, let's race through some of those. So the argument there would be yeah. City have been pulled up because their emails were yeah. hacked, I, I, whatever Der Spiegel investigated it, and therefore they've come They've come to more prominence. What about... What are UEFA doing to investigate... PSG, uh, Juventus, various others. Yeah, I think this is... Bayern Munich. This is... This is this is fertile territory for, for, for City to explore if they want to. I'm not sure it's going to quite get them out of the hole that they're currently in, certainly not being able to say, oh, look over there, they're, they're, they're naughty as well, doesn't really help when you're the one. Well, it reminds me of when I, I got spooled, pulled over for speeding and as I was there on the side of the M6 with a Cheshire police <laughs> officer, I said, look at those guys going at double the speed you pulled me over for. And he said, well, unlucky, I yeah. pulled you over and we need to deal with your situation mm. first. Yeah. So, look, um, we're going to hear, uh, no doubt, about the fact that uh, Adidas um, own, I think, 8% of, of Bayern and a, a key sponsor there and uh, Puma, uh, a shareholder at, at Dortmund and a key sponsor there, that, you know, uh, Juventus clearly had a you know had a look, look at their financial fair play equation and thought, hmm, Let's see if we can get a bit more money out of Jeep, despite the fact that Jeep, their shirt sponsor, had a few years left to run on that contract. So they effectively, you know, rip up the contract a little bit early. Fiat and the Agnelli family. Well, of course, Jeep are owned by a part of the the Fiat group. Now, look, but then we go back to that valuation thing. Mm. So Agnelli, who's not not daft, will say, well, first of all, you know, I don't, I don't run, I don't run Jeep's marketing department, and they correctly realise that we're we've won Serie A however many eighteen times in a row, and we've just signed Ronaldo, who's the who's the biggest sports star in the world. Of, of of course, that association, that brand association, is worth more than it was a couple of years ago. So yes, yes, we can justify that increased payment. But is pointing the finger at others now going to wash in this particular investigation? No. Um, just explain what what because you mentioned it earlier. So let's just tidy up Milan, and then we'll come on to what this means to Guardiola and the players, and where we go from here. Actually, a, a, on a timescale, but just what just what Milan did, oh, because yeah, yeah. you know it's another example of how the corridors of yeah. power 
work within football? I'll do it quickly, and, and, and I'm generalising a little yeah. bit. AC Milan have had financial fair plays for a while. They really went for it under Chinese ownership, I think it was, in about 2017, 2018. Didn't work out. You know, they're trying to sort of kind of get back to the Berlusconi mm. glory years. Um, have had this sort of ongoing issue. They've been investigated. There were some issues around a bit similar to sort of City, you know, the investigatory chamber kind of really wanting to go after them. Yeah, there's a definite FFP breach here. Some some conversations. AC got into a kind of a talks mode, which I, I would argue is a is a better way to go than, than City's more, more aggressive stance. And we've almost got to the point where there was a change of ownership at AC. They're now run by a big American hedge fund, I think. And they sort of said, look, direction of travel, we're, we're doing our best here. Give us a go, you know, hold off with the, with the, with the sanction for a minute. Uh, conveniently, whilst they went for a Champions League place, just fell short and then went, oh, do you know what, UEFA, UEFA, um, well, can we have that ban now? Because we, 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 we'll take the ban now. We know one's coming. We'll take it now. Uh, and they are serving a ban, uh, <laughs> having failed to qualify for Europe. Yeah, and that's, that's how it works sometimes. As you understand it, David, um, what does this mean for Pep Guardiola and some of the Manchester City squad? Because a lot of City fans I know are going, do you know what, actually... They've always had a prickly relationship with the Champions League. We're not that, you know, if we're out of the Champions League for two years, fine. But on the condition that it doesn't affect our squad and our manager. Yeah, we wrote a big piece on this that was published on The Athletic on Sunday, um, in which it became very clear that Saturday's meeting with uh, Pep Guardiola, staff, players, um, was pretty sort of militant in its tone, supposedly saying, I'm not going anywhere. We're going to show our quality. We're not about money. We're about quality, which a lot of people have pointed out to me that they wouldn't have the quality if it wasn't for the money. And I'm staying put. And further comments have been reported elsewhere today that he said, whatever league we're in, I'll be in charge. We've speculated and had informed debate for quite a while on this podcast about Pep's future, irrespective of the FFP situation. And people I've spoken to have said that it's, his future is not so tightly linked to FFP. It's more likely linked to what we've already reported that uh, he wants to see significant overhaul in the summer of the playing squad, signings made. And if that happens, then he'll be satisfied to go into the final year of his contract and maybe even extend. There's also the sort of message this sends out to players at this point in time from himself, from Ferran Soriano, the chief executive, from Chiki Bagiristain, the sporting director. If if they're giving out any hint to, to players and their representatives that they're jumping ship, then there could be sort of internal crisis. So they're singing from the same hymn sheet. From the players' perspectives, also been a lot reported on this, that some would be considering their futures Others, such as Raheem Sterling, have been reported to be saying they're staying and they're going nowhere. I think it's, my understanding is it's in between the two. They are all keenly observing the outcome of cash before making any decisions. They and their representatives are not stupid. Uh, I don't think many of them, especially the more high-profile players, would be happy with a two-year ban from the Champions League. That would be disastrous potentially for their careers. A one-year ban, if it was to be reduced, may be palatable. On the flip side, Manchester City have these guys under long contracts. 
Do they have a legal basis if it got bitter to get out of those contracts based on the notion that Manchester City are at fault for the breach, not the players? Anything that comes out in the media at the moment, we're staying, we're not staying, is pretty irrelevant. It all comes down to Cass. This is a monumental moment for Manchester City, their players, their project and UEFA's financial fair play. What's the timescale then with with Cass and how this works? Yeah, good question. Um, There will be a natural desire, I think, on all parts to get this resolved as quickly as possible for the obvious reason that, you know, we want certainty going forward, who, you know, fifth, et cetera, et cetera, who's Mm. going to play in the Champions League next year. However, I think there's a bigger consideration here, and that is you've got to get this right. You've absolutely got to get this right. This is... I. I think this is going to dawn on people slowly just how big this is. I think this is about not just financial fair play and what Man City, what a club in East Manchester may or may not have done. This is about how you regulate professional sport in in, in Europe. This is about... Not um, just football. No, I think it's bigger. I think football's the most important <coughs> sport. It's the highest profile. We're talking about you know the most lucrative, successful club competition in the world. We're talking about the team that, that, that was champions of the, the richest football league in the world. It's this where it's this union of sovereign wealth, professional sports, old-fashioned liberal Western rules-based systems versus deals-based systems versus unimaginable wealth. Not no longer the butcher, the local yeah. butcher running the team and a few directors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, over here, all about local, very local pride. You know, just about a nice parking space and somewhere to to to, to wine and dine. No, we're talking about you know soft power. How, how nations brand themselves. This is this is this is huge. It's very sort of twenty first century stuff, and I, I think this is all going to be playing out. Three people yeah. in um, in uh, in Luzan will be sort of weighing this stuff up. And it's incredible that all of this is happening in the background while they're trying to get on with playing football matches, competing for top honors. Um, I was told that uh, the city hierarchy sent messages to the players' representatives saying. Keep calm. We're going to be fighting this. Um, there was a phone call, I think, from George Mendes to the city hierarchy saying, wow. we're right behind you. We support you. You know, this is a big game against you. Um, they've received a lot of support. Mikel Arteta on Sunday came out and said he knows that that Manchester City, his old club, are hurting. We could have this extraordinary scenario that Manchester City get to the latter stages, potentially even the win final, it. and win the Champions League this season and then get kicked out of the competition. I mean, the anthem is going to be played at their yeah, yeah. their game against Real Madrid, and w- this is an extraordinary moment. We're talking about seismic activity behind the scenes in relation to what goes on on the pitch, and you've got 11 footballers going on to try just, and just, continue their trade. It would not surprise me at all if this galvanises people, if this... If, like, I suppose we can go the other way as well, but it would not at all surprise me if this if this is the spark they needed to, to win this trophy. Just... One of the interesting wrinkles here is I think it's entirely possible that the sanction will be stayed, will be will be suspended whilst the appeal takes place. Wow. And I think I think because it's so important, I don't see them rushing it. I don't see them rushing it in time for the draw and for all these things to be resolved. So I see this going to the end of the summer and I would not be remotely surprised if Manchester City are on the starting grid for next season's Champions League. Clearly, therefore, if that was to happen, they've got a summer of recruitment to be getting on with, which, as mentioned, is absolutely enormous for Pep Guardiola and the regeneration of this squad. The messages towards the players and their representatives are keep calm, we're going to fight this. Some reports suggesting they're, they're telling them they're going to win this. That would all tally with 
trying to continue business as normal, recruit players, carry on. And we've got the not-so-small task of trying to win that battle in the courts. Yeah, look, all, all of that, absolutely true. The thing I would add, just from my my sort of point of view, is two year, a two-year ban from Europe, from European Club competition, will cost City about a fifth to a quarter of their income. You take 20 to 25% off any business, they're going to hurt, right? You do it within the context of financial fair play, which we already know, the way for all over them, they have a massive problem. You, 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 don't, you don't lose 20, 20% and go, guys, we'll be fine. Never mind the prestige of playing in the Champions League. Never mind all those things, you know, the competitive drive that players have, that managers have to win things, just from the money alone. And that's that's the prize money they win, the, broadcast, the share of the broadcast, the match day revenue, the uplift from sponsorships, because they actually now have non-UAE sponsors. They've got plenty mm. because they've been doing well. So all of those things. We're talking two years. That's a quarter of your income. Well, then I wonder how drastically that will affect their attempts at recruitment and trying to convince these agents and players that they're trying to sign that all will be okay, as I've just suggested. And and also, I said to one uh, prominent football agent, um, if City are banned, how are they going to attract players? And he just said, well, they'll, pay them, they'll offer them an even better salary to make sure they come. But are they going to be able to do that financially? You could say, well, they can sell Leroy Sane or, or whatever. Yeah. But that will potentially only get them so far. It's the end. If, they, if they're if they unable to have this reduced at all, it's the end of this chapter of Manchester City. And also, it depends on who the players are, how old they are, where they're from, how much priority a player puts on the Champions League, because from different areas of the world, they put different emphasis on the Champions League. If they're 26, 27, and only have two, three years at their peak to win a Champions League, that's very different to signing someone who is 21 and... You know, or let's say they want a Jude Bellingham, for example. Jude Bellingham, I'm assuming, would still go to Manchester City if there was a two-year ban because he's 16 and he has quite a lot of time, and he'd be working under Pep Guardiola. So it would all depend on the on the the age and the profile of the player. Good luck if you're the executives trying to squad plan while dealing well, with yes, this behind absolutely. the scenes. It's a it's a really good point. Go back go back to the the whole bigger picture of this and you mentioned you know sovereign wealth and this and how clubs are run how clubs are owned how they make money because this is just one part of what it feels like we're heading to some kind of i don't know d-day's too too dramatic but you you wrote about the next premier league tv deal um and whether they oh, would, yeah, yeah. whether they would take control of it themselves stream their games mm. netflix style cut out the the, the sky the bts the amazons whatever it may be um is this all part of the power game that is going on within European football? You know, set against the big clubs wanting an extra four Champions League games to maximise yes. broadcast revenue, etc. Yeah, it is. Yeah, there's a, we're, it's a crossroads moment. Yeah, it? yeah, it's, it's, it's a reordering. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, just hearing the, the, how you frame the question. Yes, they, they, yeah, they are connected. I mean, they they, they seem separate when I was writing them um, because one is about the huge changes, huge, remarkable changes to the media, entertainment sectors, how we consume sports. Um, you know, we got we got kids, right? Yeah. We, you know, watching watching what they do, yeah, as opposed to how we did it. Um, 
and just the conversations that you've already mentioned about you know the, the bigger clubs, the clubs who are driving this stuff, the, the people who who go to Premier League shareholders meetings and say, look, I'm sorry, Burnley, Brighton, but no one's watching. No one's getting up in the morning in Singapore or wherever it is, you, yeah. know, you know, in California or staying up late in the others, you know, in Singapore to, to watch you. They're doing it for us, right? And and, and therefore we're driving this. We some of our some of our love is coming your way. All right, okay. Just can we be a bit bit more grateful, please? Yeah. And um, that conversation has been ongoing. And of course, there was a, a a deal done around the international rights, which were never supposed to be that big. No one foresaw that 20, 30, 25, 30 years. Let's just divvy up the, the Scandinavian rights. Who else is watching? Mm-hmm. Well, suddenly now Scandinavia is paying more to watch Premier League football than they were paying to watch their own. You know, twenty seven million people in Norway, Sweden, Finland, and Denmark have just have just coughed up. Um, what is it? Two billion yeah. over six years. Remarkable. No one saw that. That's an old-fashioned TV deal. I wonder how many more of those we'll get. It's very hard to say no to those when someone's willing to give you a great big check up front. Every club wants that certainty. But I think the piece I wrote is at some point, and the Premier League's chief executive admitted this. They've already been planning it. They'd like to have done a pilot already. Why? Why don't we just cut out the middleman? Hmm. What? You know, this whole deal is it? Is it? Is it Premflix? Is it Netflix? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter about the name. Live streaming is where it's at. You know, it's happening in the States. ESPN Plus, uh, DAZN are already streaming uh, Premier League rights in Canada. We've already had a really pretty good experiment with it at Amazon here mm. in December. Why does the Premier League not just have a direct relationship with customers? We can, we can, we can undercut everybody else. We'll know a lot more about mm. you. We'll be able to flog you other stuff, probably give you a better product. You can you can choose. I only want to watch that team. I want to watch it all. But it, but then is that the key behind it? I only want to watch that team, and therefore yeah. some of the big ones can go. Look how many people want to watch us. Look how many people stream us compared to streaming you, and therefore we'll maximise our, our our commercial. Yeah, yeah. But it's but, it's but, definitely but, part of it. Yeah, but but I think what the Premier League and the domestic leagues will be saying and, and UEFA's experiment, you know, talking about it as well. Everyone everyone's exploring F one, you name it, F mm. Major League Baseball, NBA, is look, mm. we're just talking about a, a delivery mechanism at the moment and just responding to to what customers are telling us they like. Let's let's not lose that principle of doing it together, yeah, because you've got to play someone. Man United can't just keep playing the Harlem Globetrotters every week. You do actually have to play someone and be in a league that means something so that your fans can go to work the following morning and say, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you've got to play someone. If it smashes the existing broadcasting revenues out of the water, then this could actually be a long-term solution for English football if the money then trickles down into lower leagues because they have more coming in than they do now. Can they... um does it have to be one thing or another with them? Do you understand? So, I, yeah. and I, I know people may get sick of me bringing up NFL as examples yeah. whenever we do this we podcast. But, but yeah, but so um, if you take, I think it might be Thursday night football in, in America. It's streamed on uh, whatever the whatever the domestic channel is. Whether that's uh, it's not CBS, might be NBC. It's Amazon, or, isn't it? But it's, yeah. but this is the, the point. traditional. Yeah. They have Amazon. They have the NFL Network. And they have a broadcast partner yeah, as yeah. well. So yeah. their their um, their philosophy behind that is it's a mixed economy. It's a mixed economy, yeah. and yeah. it's all about reach. 
It's all yeah. about reach. We want as many people watching as possible. Yeah, so yeah. if the under 25s devour most of their sports content via Amazon, we want it to be on Amazon. If the traditionalists who are in their 70s have always gone to ESPN or CBS or whatever it may be, we still want them to do it. But also, if you're the diehard who has NFL Network and is devouring them day in, day out, and every single programme, we'll make it available on them. Yes, we'll still have a Sunday night showpiece only on NBC and you know AFC games on CBS or whatever, but we we covered the whole thing and i just wonder whether you know if this actually increases their their monetary value and they get more money out of doing it like this whether they then go i tell you what maybe we will have saturday night on itv and we will still do a deal with sky and we will show some on premier league and get it out there more but, but is it not the exclusivity that brings in the big bucks Yes and yes to both of you. I'm just I'm doing it. Yes, yes to mixed economy. Yeah. Yes to doing this gradually, towing the water. Likely to be pilots, almost certainly abroad, not here because the the money here yeah. is so good. Because Sky and BT, you've got them. Yeah. You know, you, you, you know, you've created that business model. Yeah. They're not going to go lightly. And also, mm. there is a benefit here, as has been pointed out to me by many executives and insiders. It's quite good to talk about this stuff. Yeah. Because it gets everyone honest. And oh, well, you know, we're not just going to keep handing these rights to you. You've yeah. got to keep coming back with bigger bids, please, because we will do it ourselves. So there's an element of that. Gradual, mixed economy, yes. Uh, does it... Exclusivity. Yes, of course it does. Of course it does. Mm. Of course it does. You, you start diluting anything. Well, you know, I haven't got anyone. I haven't got a hold of anyone. That That is basically the success story of Sky Sports, isn't it, yeah. over the last 30 years? Yeah. If you loved sport, really loved sport, you, you had to pay them 60, 70 quid a month. Right, do you want to go for a lie down now? <laughs> yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. We've had Matt by ourselves. That, that was absolutely fascinating. Matt, thank you very much for being with us. Uh, Matt Slater, you can read plenty more of Matt's stuff on The Athletic as well. You t- it seems a very long time ago now you teased the transfer stuff. Wow. Shall we just do that? Hopefully people are still listening. We did a bit of... Uh, <laughs> Matt's still in the studio. Of course people are no, still listening. They, they, they enjoyed that. I don't know if they'll enjoy this, is what I meant. Oh, right, uh, OK. There's a bit of transfer stuff in the column on Ajax, on Liverpool, uh, and as we said, uh, some contract stuff on Arsenal. On Ajax, um, Hakim Ziyech, who is going to join Chelsea in the summer, we know that as of last week, uh, that's going to be the start of an exodus from Ajax, as far as I know. Uh, a year ago, this could have been very possible. They did reluctantly lose Frankie de Jong and Matthias de Ligt, but they managed to hold on to the bulk of their squad that got to the Champions League semi-finals. That was on the sort of premise, stay for one more year and we'll try and emulate that achievement and allow this really special crop of players to fulfil their potential. However, they got knocked out in the group stage this time round. Ziyech is the first to go, and uh, a number of others will follow the likes of Donny van der Beek, possibly Daley Blind, who has a buyout clause. Um, I haven't got all the names in front of me now, but in a shameless plug to the column, they're there. Um, And so, yes, there'll be a lot of clubs in England and beyond who are looking at these Ajax stars and Liverpool, who, you know, seem to get their transfer business done early and cannily and without a lot of people knowing about it. And it seems they could well do again because they've been watching, and we mentioned on this podcast quite a while ago, Todd Cantwell from Norwich. Norwich played at Anfield on the first day of the season or the first round of fixtures of the season. Cantwell impressed then. Uh, a number of clubs uh, were watching him in those months. Still are. There's interest from Manchester City, Manchester United and, and Tottenham as well. Strong interest from those three. Um, but since the January transfer window closed, 
Liverpool have stepped up their interest in Campwell. They've made it very clear. The teams met on Saturday at Carrow Road. He impressed again, 90 minutes against Liverpool for the second time. I'm told that Liverpool uh, members of the Liverpool coaching and playing staff were particularly impressed with Campwell. Um, and regardless of whether or not uh, Norwich stay in the Premier League, there's a fee of around £30 million being mooted that, that Norwich would expect. And I think it's one that uh, Liverpool are now leading the race on. Uh, OK, good. Uh, thank you. Uh, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic to read in full. Uh, all the articles from David and Matt and our full team of writers. Uh, plenty more uh, on Manchester City, on the actual Manchester City pod as well. Uh, Sam Lee, part of that, our Manchester City correspondent. Why Always Us is the name of the Manchester City pod, uh, which might be particularly relevant at the moment. Uh, by listening to us, you can get a 40% discount on subscription. Just go to theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman, theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman. All of the podcasts are completely free. Ad-free versions are available to subscribers. That's it. We'll be back next week. Thanks, Matt. Oh. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs>